Chapter Three of An Unwilling Guest by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Three, The Maid of All Work. It was well for the great family that their custom was to drop their eyes and bow their heads upon sitting down to a meal, while the head of the house asked God's blessing. On this occasion it was a relief to all concerned to close their eyes and quiet their hearts before God for a brief instant. They were people who lived close enough to their Heavenly Father to gather strength from even so brief a heart-lift as was this. As for the guest, it was actually the first time since her little girlhood that she had sat at a table and heard God's blessing asked. There could scarcely have been brought together two girls whose lives had been farther apart than those of Alison Gray and Evelyn Rutherford. Miss Rutherford slightly inclined her head as good breeding would dictate, but she kept her eyes wide open and looked about on the group. Half amused and a trifle annoyed, she did not care to have such an interruption to her little triumph of entrance. Besides, she now thought she knew why these people were so awfully placid and unusual in their behavior. They were religious. She had never known any very religious people, but she felt sure they were disagreeable, and she decided again to get away from them as soon as possible. Meantime, she was hungry, and she could not help seeing that a tempting meal was set before her. Even though, in the housekeeper's notion, it was almost spoiled, when the blessing was concluded she noticed as she waited for the plate containing a piece of juicy steak to be handed to her that the tablecloth was fine and exquisitely ironed and that the spoons and forks though thin and old-fashioned were solid silver she happened to be interested in old silver just then on account of a fad of a city friend so she was able to recognize it this fact made the people rise somewhat in her estimation and she set herself to be very charming to the head of the house. It had never seemed to her worthwhile to exercise her charms upon women. She really could talk very well. Alison had to admit that, as she sat quietly, serving the delicious peaches and cream, and passing honey, delicate biscuits, and amber coffee with the lightest of sponge cake. The guest did thorough justice to the evening meal and talked so well about her journey to Mr. Gray that he quite forgot his hurry, and suddenly looked at his watch to find that he was already five minutes late to a very important committee meeting. Allison did not fail to note all these things, nor to admit the beauty and charm of their visitor as she from time to time cast furtive glances, getting used to the dazzling display of white arms. Her face grew grave as the meal drew to a close, and her mother watching partly understood they had just risen from the table when mrs gray stepping softly from the hall folded a white fleecy shawl about the guest's shoulders saying gently now dear you must go out and watch the moon rise over the lawn and you will need this wrap it is very cool outside allison noticed with vexation that the shawl was her mother's carefully guarded best one that her brother had sent last christmas Alison herself always declined to wear it that it might be saved for mother. Yet here was this disagreeable, haughty, hateful. Alison stopped suddenly and tried to devote herself to clearing off the supper table. 
realizing that her state of mind was not charitable to say the least she went with swift feet and skilful fingers about the work of washing the supper dishes and her mother perhaps thinking it was just as well for allison to have a quiet thinking time did not offer to help but sat on the piazza with their guest talking quietly to her about her aunt though she must have noticed that the girl did not respond very heartily nor seem much interested by and by allison slipped out with another shawl and wrapped it about her mother and the stranger saw in the moonlight the mother's grateful smile and the lingering pressure she gave allison's hand and wondering felt for the first time in her life a strange lack in her own existence are the dishes all washed dear said mrs gray a little while later when allison came out and settled at her mother's feet on the upper step yes mother and i have started the oatmeal for breakfast you wanted oatmeal didn't you during the few words that followed about domestic arrangements it became evident to miss rutherford that the other girl had actually washed the supper dishes and done a good deal of the work of the house that day she looked at her with curiosity and not a little sympathy she felt a lofty pity for any girl who did not move amid the pleasures of society but to be obliged to wash dishes seemed to the new york girl a state not far from actual degradation and yet here was this girl talking about it as composedly as if it were an everyday occurrence which she did not in the least mind she wondered what could be the cause of the necessity for this state of things probably all the servants had decamped at once it might be on account of the fear of smallpox in that case it might be that even she was in danger of contagion it would be well to investigate mrs gray had gone into the house and allison sat on the step quietly looking out at the shadows on the lawn you said your maid had left you i think said miss rutherford trying to speak pleasantly have all your servants gone what was the matter were they afraid of the smallpox oh dear no said allison this time surprised out of her gravity into a genuine laugh there isn't any smallpox in town only perhaps that one case you know no we never keep more than one servant i did not say she had left i said we had none now she's not a maid in the sense you meant she's the maid of all work she has been with mother since we were little children but she is away on vacation now she always goes for a month every fall to visit her brother in chicago and during that month mother and i do all the work all but the washing she only went to chicago day before yesterday so we are just getting broken in you see oh said miss rutherford slowly trying to take in such a state of things and the possibility that anybody could accept it calmly and you only keep one servant i'm sure i don't see how ever in the world you manage why we keep four always and sometimes five and then things are never half done right i should think you would just hate to have to do the work don't you why no said allison slowly i rather like it mother and i have such nice times doing it together i love to make bread i always do that part it's a little too hard for mother do you mean to say you can make bread the questioner leaned forward and looked curiously at the other girl as though she had confessed to belonging to some strange tribe of wild people of whom she had heard but whom she had never expected to look upon 
Why, certainly, said Allison, laughing heartily now. I can make good bread, too, I think. Wasn't that good you had for supper? Yes, it was fine. I think it was the best I ever ate, but I never dreamed a girl could make it. Don't you get your hands all stuck up? I should think it would ruin them forever. I've always heard work was terrible on the hands. And she looked down at her own white ones, sparkling with jewels in the moonlight, as if they might have become contaminated by those so lowly nearby. I have not found that my hands suffered, said Allison in a cold tone, spreading out a pair as small and white and shapely as those adorned with rings. Her guest looked at her curiously again, sitting there on the step in that graceful attitude, with the white scarf about her head and shoulders, which her mother had placed there when she went in, and the moonlight streaming all about her. Miss Rutherford suddenly saw that the other girl was beautiful, too. The delicately cut features showed clearly with the pure line of profile against the dark foliage and shadow behind her. Evelyn Rutherford knew that here was a face that her brother would rave over as being pure Greek. What a pity that such a girl must be shut in by such surroundings, a little quiet village wherein she was buried, and nothing to do but wash dishes and make bread. Curiosity began to grow in her. She would try to find out how this other girl reconciled herself to such surroundings. Did she know no better? Or had she never heard of any other world, of life and gaiety? What did she do with her time? She decided to find out. What in the earth do you do with yourself the rest of the time? You only have to wash dishes and make bread one month, you say. I should think you would die buried away out here. Is there any life at all in this little place? If Allison had been better acquainted with her visitor, she would have known that her tone was as near true pity as she had ever yet come in speaking to another girl. As it was, she recognized only a scornful curiosity, and it seemed an indignity put upon her home and her upbringing. She grew suddenly angry, and with her habit of self-control waited a moment before she answered. Her questioner studied her meanwhile, and wondered at the look that gradually overspread her face. She had lifted her eyes for steadying to the brilliant autumn skies, studded with innumerable stars. Did they speak to her of the Father in heaven whom she recognized, of his wealth and power, and all the glories to which she was heir? Did it suddenly come to her how foolish it was that she should mind the pity of this other girl? whose lot was set indeed amid earthly pleasures, but whose hope for the future might be so lacking. For suddenly the watcher saw a look almost of triumph, mixed with one which seemed like pity, come over the fair young face before her, and then a joyous laugh broke out clear and sweet. Why, Miss Rutherford, she said, turning to look at her straight in the face. I would not change my lot for that of any other girl in the world. I love Hillcroft with all my heart, and I love my life and my work and my pleasures. Why, I wouldn't be you for anything in the world, much as you may wonder at it. As for life here, there is plenty of it if you only know where to look for it. Miss Rutherford about made up her mind that the investigation was not worth pursuing. It was not pleasant to have pity thrust back upon one in this style. She straightened back in the comfortable rocking-chair and asked in an indifferent tone, Then there is something going on? 
I always thought from aunt's letters that it must be a very poky place. What do you do? There are plenty of young people here, and we are all interested in the same things. I suppose we do a great deal as they do in other places, mused Allison, wondering where to begin to tell about her life, which seemed so full. Instinctively she felt that she must not mention first the pursuit dearest to her heart, her beloved Sunday-school class of boys, for it would not be understood. She thought a minute, and then went on. We have a most delightful club, she said eagerly, her eyes kindling with pleasures past and to come. I think you would enjoy that. Club, said Miss Rutherford, stifling a yawn. Girls or men? Both, said Allison. The girls meet early and do the real, solid, hard work, and in the evening the boys come and enjoy and learn and give the money. You don't say, said Miss Rutherford with interest. How odd! I never heard the like. What do you do? I suppose you make fancy work, and the men buy it for charity, and then you have a good time in the evening. Is that it? What do you do? Dance? Do you give Germans? Or perhaps you are devoted to cards? She was quite at home now, and began to feel as if perhaps her exile might be tolerable after all. Oh, no, said Allison, almost shocked to see how far she had been from making her visitor understand. Why, it's a club of the young people of the church. Do you mean it is a religious society? Questioned the girl, a covert sneer on her face. No, not religious, answered Allison, but it is made up of young people in our church. It is wholly secular, and we have delightful times, but it is not a bit like society. We don't any of us play cards or dance. At least a great many of us don't know how and don't care anything about those things, but we have most delightful meetings. Then Allison entered into a detailed and glowing account of the last meeting of their unique club of young people, wherein was combined the intellectual, useful, and social. She warmed to the subject, and she went on till it seemed to her that her guest could not but see how fascinating such evening entertainments could be. She told how the hostess had contrived clever ways to make the entertainment of the evening bring in the subject which had been the theme of the afternoon's discussion, and described the dainty arrangements of tables, flowers, lights, and refreshments to suit the occasion until she felt sure Miss Rutherford would see that she understood how things ought to be as well as if she lived in New York. Then she turned at the close to meet cold unresponsiveness, and hear in a tone of entire indifference the word, Indeed, from Miss Rutherford. In truth, the visitor had heard very little of what was said. It sounded to her like a country church sociable, though she had never attended such a gathering and she was simply bored by the account. Her mind was not sufficiently awake as yet to appreciate the cleverness manifested by these village girls in supplying the needs of social life which in the city are ministered to by professionals as a matter of course. She had been idly studying the sweet face before her, and wondering what haunting memory was awakened by the expression that flitted across it now and again. Where had she seen someone of who these people reminded her? Allison suddenly subsided. She was aware that she had been casting her precious pearls before. Well, she hardly prepared to finish the sentence. But she was a girl whose likes and dislikes were intense. 
and when she went into anything she put her whole heart into it. This young people's club was dear to her. She did not relish seeing it despised. She was glad that her mother came out just then, and made it unnecessary for her to say anything more. Gladder still was she when she saw her father open the gate down among the shadows of the trees, and she could flit down to meet him, and come back slowly arm in arm with him, asking about his meeting, and knowing that he loved to tell her about everything. She drew a long breath of relief, and she felt she had gotten away from the interloper in her pleasant home for a little space. Meantime the guest watched her in absolute amazement, she tried to fancy herself rushing at her father in that style, and walking arm in arm up the path. Why did this other girl do it, and what was the reason of that pleasant look of understanding and love that passed between father and daughter, as the two reached the steps and paused to finish a sentence before sitting down? Evelyn Rutherford felt for a second time that there was something missing from her life, which might have been pleasant, and wondered why it was whose fault had it been, hers or her father's? End of chapter 3